Welcome back to the Hemingwayist podcast for Book 8, Chapter 11. Sorry, I said that like that. Uh, what do you think of Dolokhov's scheme involving Karagin? What do you think Karagin would say if he found out? Karagin? Karagin? Wait. What? What's Dolokhov's scheme involving Karagin? I thought Dolokhov and Karagin were in on the scheme together. Do you think Karagin intends to try to break up Natasha and Andre? What, <clears throat> what do you think his intentions are? Uh, I think he just wants to get laid. Now, I don't often look through the comments during the day. Um, I just read them on the fly during the podcast. But I did have a little glimpse at a couple today. And oh my god, people are not happy with, uh, with uh, old Dolokhov. And... I think Dolokhov, Dolokhov's like kind of a man's man, you know, um, and that's that's him, he's a swashbuckler, but I think Anatole is the real jerk here. Brett Peterson said, this chapter made me sick, I really hope Dolokhov doesn't survive this novel, he's a worthless person and leeches off the best of them, and now he and Anatole are joking about Anatole trying to sleep with an engaged woman. I was angry at the end of reading this. Damn, really got under your skin. Uh, Warren Coffey says, I'm sort of amazed with this book at just how vile some of the characters are, particularly the Karagins and Dolokhov. I assumed there would be some conflict and villains, if you will, but I guess I naively assumed they would be much more tame and toned down considering how War and Peace was written in the 19th century, but characters like Anatole and Dolkov have completely pulled the rug from beneath that notion. Not that I'm complaining, it's made for some great reading, and the story has been a lot more modern than I originally expected. Tolstoy, that guy you know, says, Tolstoy basically saying that Anatole is an F-boy, the whole chapter is pretty hilarious. Um... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he is. He is a 19th century, uh, what do they call him, a rake. Fragment Squirrel says, all I can say is stay away, Natasha. Anatole makes for some fun drama to read, but seriously, what a disaster. I hope he doesn't ruin Natasha. And uh, Ripster66 says, here we go. Here we have two characters whose natures happen to coincide. Dolokhov is using Karagin, but doing so in a way that ensures Karagin has a good time, which is all he wants anyway. I doubt Karagin feels that he is being used, and if he found out, would credit Dolokhov for using his name and position to gather great gamblers together, which benefits Karagin just as much. They've got a symbiotic relationship going on. These two deserve each other. These two scoundrels. Let's read chapter 12, hey? The day after the opera, the Rostovs went nowhere and nobody came to see them. Maya Dmitrievna talked to the Count about something which they concealed from Natasha. Natasha guessed they were talking about the old prince and planning something, and this disquieted and offended her. She was expecting Prince Andre any, any moment, and twice that day sent a manservant to the Vozdizenska to ascertain whether he'd come. He had not arrived. She suffered more now than during her first days in Moscow. To her impatience and pining for him were now added 
to the unpleasant recollection of the interview with Princess Mary and the old prince and a fear and anxiety of which she did not understand the cause. She continually fancied that either he would never come or that something would happen to her before he came. She could no longer think of him by herself calmly and continuously as she had done before. As soon as she began to think of him, the recollections of the old prince, of Princess Mary, of the theatre, and of Corragan mingled with her thoughts. The question again presented itself whether she was not guilty, whether she had not already broken faith with Prince Andre, and again she found herself recalling to the minutest detail every word, every gesture, and every shade in the play of expression on the face of the man who had been able to arouse in her such an incomprehensible and terrifying feeling. To the family, Natasha seemed livelier than usual, but she was far less tranquil and happy than before. On Sunday morning, Maya Dmitrievna invited her visitors to Mass at her parish church, the Church of the Assumption, built over the graves of victims of the plague. I don't like those fashionable churches, she said, evidently priding herself on the independence of thought. God is the same everywhere. We have an excellent priest. He conducts the service decently and with dignity, and the daikon is the same. What holiness is there in giving concerts in the choir? I don't like it. It's just self-indulgence. Maya Dmitrievna liked Sundays and knew how to keep them. Keep how to keep them. Uh, her whole house was scrubbed and cleaned on Saturdays. Neither she nor the servants worked, and they all wore holiday dress and went to church. At her table there were extra dishes at dinner, and the servants had vodka and roast goose or suckling pig but in nothing in the house was the holiday so noticeable as in Maya Dmitrievna's broad, stern face, which on that day wore an invariable look of solemn festivity. After Mass, when they had finished their coffee in the dining room, where the loose covers had been removed from the furniture, a servant announced that the carriage was ready, and Maya Dmitrievna rose with a stern air. She wore her holiday shawl, in which she paid her calls, and announced that she was going to see Prince Nicholas Bolkonsky to have an explanation with him about Natasha. After she had gone, a dressmaker from Madame Superrouge waited on the Rostovs and Natasha, very glad of this diversion, having shut herself into a room adjoining the drawing room, occupied herself trying on the new dresses. Just as she had put on a bodice without sleeves and only tacked together, and was turning her head to see in the glass how the back fitted, she heard in the drawing-room the animated sounds of her father's voice and another's, a woman's, that made her flush. It was Helena. Natasha had not time to take off the bodice. Before the door opened, and Countess Bezukova, dressed in a purple velvet gown with a high collar, came into the room, beaming with good-humoured, amiable smiles. "'Oh, my enchantress!' she cried to the blushing Natasha. "'Charming! No, this is really beyond anything, my dear Count,' said she to Count Rostov, who had followed her in. "'How can you live in Moscow and go nowhere? No, I won't let you off. Mademoiselle Georges will recite at my house tonight, and there'll be some people, and if you don't bring your loveliest girls, who are prettier than Mademoiselle Georges, I won't know you. My husband is away in Tver, or I would send him to fetch you.' You must come. You positively must. Between eight and nine. She told. She nodded to the dressmaker, whom she knew, and who had curtsied respectfully to her, and seated herself in an armchair beside the looking-glass, draping the folds of her velvet dress picturesquely. She did not cease chattering good-naturedly and gaily, continually praising Natasha's beauty. She looked at Natasha's dresses and praised them, 
as well as a new dress of her own made of metallic gauze, which she had received from Paris, and advised Natasha to have one like it. But anything suits you, my charmer, she remarked. A smile of pleasure never left Natasha's face. She felt happy and as if she were blossoming under the praise of this dear Countess Bezukova, who had formerly seemed to her so unapproachable and important, and was now so kind to her. <coughs> Natasha brightened up and felt almost in love with this woman, who was so beautiful and so kind. Helena, for her part, was sincerely delighted with Natasha and wished to give her a good home. Summer's just joined me. What's wrong, Summer? The movie has finished. Movie is finished. Does that mean it's time to go to bed? Sleep? Sleepy by night times? Nope. Okay, I gotta read the rest of this page. Mm. Okay. <coughs> There's this P A R T spell park. Part. Part. Helena, for her part, was sincerely delighted with Natasha and wished to give her a good time. Anatoly had asked her to bring him and Natasha together and she was calling on the Rostovs for that purpose. The idea of throwing her brother and Natasha together amused her, though at one time in Petersburg she had been annoyed with Natasha for drawing Boris away. She did not think of that now and in her own way heartily wished Natasha well. As she was leaving the Rostovs she called her protege aside. My brother (coughs) dined with me yesterday. We nearly died of laughter. He ate nothing and kept sighing for you, my charmer. He is madly, quite madly in love with you, my dear. Hey, don't touch the microphone. It makes loud noises in everyone's ears. Nope, don't do it. Don't do it. Hey. That's enough. You want to help me read or not? Mm-hmm. Natasha blushed scarlet when she heard. Mm-hmm. Yay. This. Natasha blushed. Natasha blushed scarlet when she heard this. How? She. Can you read that one? Blushes. How she blushes, my pretty," said Helena. "You must it certainly can. <coughs> if you love somebody, my charmer, that is not a reason to shut yourself up. Even if you are engaged, I am sure your fiance." Would wish you to go into society rather than be bored to death. Oh, very good. So, she knows I am engaged. And she and her husband, Pierre, that good Pierre, have talked and laughed about this. So it's all right. And again, under Helena's influence, what had seemed terrible now seems simple and natural. And she is such a grand dame, so kind, and evidently likes me so much. And why not enjoy myself? thought Natasha, gazing at Helena with wide open, (coughs) wandering eyes. Maya Dmitrievna, yeah, that's it, came back to dinner at tacky turn and serious, having evidently suffered a defeat at the (coughs) old prince's. She was still too agitated by the encounter to be able to talk of the affair calmly. You farted on me. Yeah. You fart butt. That's disgusting. Uh, can I say it? Can you tell me the way? She was still too she agitated, was too agitated by the encounter. 
but the encounter. To be able to talk to the affair calmly. To be able to talk to the affair calmly. In answer to the Count's inquiry, she replied that things were all right and that she would tell about it next day. On hearing of Countess Bezikova's visit and the invitation for that evening, Maya Dmitrievna remarked, I don't, don't care, care to, to have, have anything, anything to do with, with Bezikova. Bezikova. And don't and advise, advise you, you to. However, however, if, if you, have, you promised, have promised, go. Go to. It will divert your thoughts, she added, addressing Natasha. That's it. End of the chapter. Say so thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow.